Hello and welcome to the second instalment of The View from the Windscreen. Is that what we're called? A, a, view, from a, the, a view from the Windscreen. A View yeah, from yeah, the Windscreen. Okay, so. Uh, and we are... This is actually the second time we have recorded this podcast. We tried once last week over Skype. Mm. And, uh, went tits up. Yeah, it went tits up. My, my internet decided that it... Lost the will to live about half the way through. I, I, I incidentally, like at the perfect time when I had started my section. Oh yeah, yeah, it was perfectly all right for my, uh, for my section. Even though I wasn't necessarily all right for my section, I just kept losing track. I think I don't think recording a podcast from my bed is probably something that I shall pursue in the future. But uh, we're back in the car. You'll be pleased to know. So we uh, we're keeping true to uh, our podcast name and we are currently parked somewhere where we probably shouldn't be Hamdan is that right yeah uh, we're in a side alley uh, outside of the car park that we normally park and I am keeping my eye out for for wardens traffic wardens and we, we saw one guy just pass by who looked like he was one and we were kind of about weary, weary about starting so we're back to leg it yeah we, we, we if we see one like sort of sliver of yellow vest, then we're gonna leg it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the voice you just heard was my uh, co-presenter Hamdan Arafin. Hi, nice to meet you. And uh, my name is George. Now, so uh, it's been a while since we recorded the first episode. Uh, too long, in fact. But you know, with COVID restrictions coming and going, changing with every passing couple of weeks, it's been very hard to really commit to this. Uh, you know, we, we, you can't predict what's going to be happening uh, a week in advance, never mind, you know, several months. But, like, Aye. anyway, it's been three months. Uh, Hamdan, what have you been up to in that time? Oh, God. Uh, I've, um, well, I recently just came out an exam. Uh, I'm doing accountancy, so I, I'm doing, like, exams after exams after exams, and it has been a bit stressful, especially with this latest one on taxation, which... I'm Sounds sure. very, very interesting. Honestly, man. mate, it's, it's, you cannot get anything better than that. But um, I know one thing has been sort of, you know, keeping me sort of strong throughout the whole thing, and it's watching the 90s episodes of... I don't know if you're, you're aware, you've seen this, this show. You probably have. The 90s episodes of um, Nevermind the Buzzcocks. I've seen... I, don't, I didn't even know they were going in the 90s. I, that's the thing, that's what I thought, but the, apparently I think it was the first host, Mark Lamar, Okay. He is an absolute hilarious lad, honestly, man. <laughs> you should watch his episodes. Like, when he was hosting... I mean, Simon Amstel, he was all right. And then they had the guest shows, and it kind of went a bit down from there. But Mark Lamar in his prime, you should watch that show. He was great. I do, I do remember Mark Lamar when he was on Shooting Stars. Do you ever watch Shooting I, Stars? I haven't seen Shooting Is that a movie? No, 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 no. It's a sort of a comedy panel show presented ah. by uh, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. You know them? Oh, I love I love a bit of Bob. Bob yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um, but yeah, uh, not much has been happening outside of work. I think that's also uh, the same Talking. for me, really. Yeah, chilling, really chilling. Just waiting for the next opportunity to record a podcast. Mm-hmm. Then it happened. Then it went tits up. So trying again, and we are we are committed for this podcast to be our best one yet, aren't we? Fingers crossed. I mean, so long as we don't find a warden, otherwise we'll have to we'll have to arrange this for a different time, or just. Skidaddle and finish the recording somewhere else. Of course. But yeah, uh, you may notice that the recording quality is different than with the first episode. Mm-hmm. Could be better, could be worse. Uh, that is because we are currently using 
Hamdan's new phone. Yeah, it's um, it was a last-minute decision. Uh, we were going to go for um, George's laptop, uh, but um, but my my battery uh, will. I mean, it was already struggling when we recorded the first episode. It right. just about managed to last an hour without being plugged in. But uh, these days, it cannot last more than fifteen minutes without being plugged in. So maybe that's a sign. That is a sign. Well, my birthday is coming up in exactly three months. No, sorry, three weeks from now. So George's so, parents, man. Hint, hint. Hint. Yeah, I mean, I, I am. I, I have the intent to invest in something a little more convenient, laptop-wise. Yeah. Okay, you or someone else. <clears throat> but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Low, uh, I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll show... I'll actually, I'll show my family members this podcast and yeah. hopefully they'll... They'll probably get the hint by now. The hint will sort of permeate its way into their subconscious. <laughs> anyway, so, that's the introduction over and done with. Now, uh, am I going to start or you? No, after you, George. Okay. So... The band that I'm going to talk about today is quite an interesting band because they're one with a very, very loyal following. But in terms of mainstream success, they practically had none. And outside of uh, this sort of band of very committed followers, very few people really will have heard of this band. Uh, And they are Cardiacs. Now... Cardiacs were a progressive punk band from hailing from UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Hamdan, what do you think of the genre progressive punk? What does that scream to you? It screams um, contrast because contrast. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, I'm sure you were the one who probably told you know told me about this, but punk was uh, a, a genre that came out as a. Um, I don't know what's the right word. Like a reaction. A reaction. To... A reaction to progressive rock. And I, yeah. I think you specifically remembered that Sid Vicious of the band Sex Pistols actually had a shirt that said, um, I hate Pink Floyd. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it was, uh, so it definitely seems, uh, screams of contrast to me. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw that genre label, I thought, how is that even possible? It's like, it's two completely separate things. Right. But then I listened to the work of Cardiacs and, you know, Somehow it made absolute sense. Like their music is characterized by these really complex harmonies that you would expect from progressive rock, but then sort of very punkish raw vocals. You know, uh, like they'd also have these incredibly long drawn out pieces, some lasting. Well, in terms of in in terms of punk, I mean anything over like five minutes is pretty long. But like yeah. they'd, have, they'd have tracks going six. Eight, maybe even ten minutes, uh, which is far more indicative of progressive rock. Yet they have this uh, undeniable punk attitude mm-hmm. to them. Like they were very, very rebellious. They were totally against the mainstream. Like all sorts of uh, strong indicators of what would make a band successful in terms of uh, commercial success. They just totally went against it, and they they played by their own rules. Um, Another, other things that characterise the, the band's style is this wall of sound production. Like, they would... You'd listen to some of their tracks and they'd have, like, so many different instruments mm-hmm. playing at one time to, to create this monstrous cacophony. Right. Uh, and sometimes, like, 
sometimes it, for me at least they go a little bit too far with that <laughs> it's almost information overload you have all the, the all of these instruments and all of these uh, multi-tracked vocals right. just overdubbing each other up to the point where just everything is sort of buried by itself you know which is occasionally brilliant if you're building up to it as they do in the in the song that I'm going to talk about today other times it is quite a difficult listen but I would recommend uh, just as a starter if you've never heard of Cardiacs then they are definitely worth checking out in my opinion mm-hmm. So I'm going to go into their history a little bit. I've talked about their the, the, the genre, the style, but I'm going to go into their history quite briefly. They started in the late 70s, I do believe, and they recorded a handful of mini-albums, mainly on cassette. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you listen to them today, they sound like they were recorded with a calculator. Uh, I think the recording quality of this podcast... Trumps their early releases. Yeah, uh, definitely quite competing with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they released a few more uh, sort of EPs, mini albums uh, through the eighties, uh, but it was only until nineteen eighty-eight where they released their first full-length album. Now I need to get this up on my phone because I can never remember how to say this album title: "A Little Man and a House and a Whole World Window." <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And it's got, it, I mean, in sort of progressive circles, that album now has sort of a, an iconic cover. It's sort of like a black background and then a, a white star that looks like it's been painted by a child. Wow. That sort of thing. Very iconic. But yeah. Uh, and then they released uh, a number of uh, albums uh, through the 90s as well. Uh, their last one being in 1999. Then in the 2000s, they did a few extra things. They did some gigs. Um and a DVD recording, which I, which I got for Christmas that I've not even actually got round to to watching, which I'm actually excited to do. I think it's called Some Fairy Tales from the Rotten Shed. <laughs> it's basically just the four. The, there were four members of the band at that point, and they are basically in a shed, playing, uh, I don't know, about fifteen to twenty of their own songs just live in the shed. Very niche concept. Yeah. Uh, but yet yeah, they. One very, very um, important thing to say about Cardiacs, which sort of ties in with the thing I said about having them having practically no commercial success, is that they own their own label. Ah, okay. They uh, Their label called the Alphabet Business Concern, ABC. Mm. Um, so, obviously, owning their own label and releasing, or, or, like, like putting out all of their releases on this label did grant them greater artistic freedom with which they were able to pursue this hugely idiosyncratic musical style and sort of gain the popularity that they did. Yet at the same time, with artist, with great artistic freedom, it comes at a price. Okay. You know. Uh, throughout most of their career, if not all of it, they were struggling for money or they were struggling to stay alive. Um, but at no point did they actually sort of compromise their sound at any point. Of course, they were inspired by a lot of the music going on at the time, but they still remain true to that classic cardiac sound, which I think is very, very admirable. Sort of like they they would carry on defiantly in the face of adversity. 
they were a band that were understandably very polarizing. Mm. So that um, they they would receive extreme reception both positively and negatively. Like for example, I've talked about the loyal fan base. Like people to this day are just discovering them and just 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 discovering how incredible they are and people are falling falling in love with them over 20 years after their last release uh, but there were also some very very negative reactions to them as well I know for example in the mid 1980s they were supporting uh, famous 80s or neo-prog band Marillion okay. they were very very big at the time yes uh, and let's just say that the Marillion fans did not appreciate Cardiacs and they they booed them on stage. They bottled them. Just everything that could go wrong for the band went wrong, oh, really. No. And even later on in the nineties, and oh, I think it was the nineties anyway, uh, Blur, a band that was very very heavily inspired by Cardiacs, and who ended up actually inspiring them to a certain extent. But I'll get onto that. Uh, they also supported. Well, they were also supported by Cardiacs on one of their tours, and the reception was similarly hostile. And the album that I'm going to talk about today, in fact, was uh, reviewed uh, by uh, the 90s magazine Vox at one point, and it was given a whopping naught out of ten. That high? Review. Yeah, I know. Wow. You think, you know, I mean... Even when I come across an album, I've, I've done album reviews in the past, and even when I come across an album that I utterly despise, like Unknown Pleasures, oh god, I hate you. I'd at least give them one for turning up, you know, <laughs> for for turning on their equipment. Mm. I mean, I think that's worth one you, point. You tried at least. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you came into the studio, you you mucked around on your instruments, you you have no talent. Yeah, and you, you, you and you turn them off again at the end of the day, saving electricity. You know, yeah. you deserve a point for that, surely. What well, well, no, more no. could you want? No, uh, Vox, this magazine that doesn't exist anymore, Vox uh, decided no, they weren't even going to give them a single point. Shame for this entire album. Scandalous. But anyway, uh, I've talked about their loyal fan base. They've also inspired countless successful artists. Such as, well, I mentioned Blur already. Radiohead is a big one. Oh. I know you. I know you're a huge fan of Radiohead. I, I wasn't aware that they were uh, inspired by them. Yeah, That's yeah, absolutely. Uh, a favourite of mine, Biffy Clyro, mm-hmm. uh, and also a couple of solo artists whom, whom I'm a big fan of as well. One of my musical heroes, uh, Stephen Wilson, uh, who, uh, yeah, actually covered a Cardiac song uh, at one point, and also. Uh, a guy called Venart, who is probably most well known as Biffy Clyro's side guitarist, but I know him more. Uh, I recognise him as the frontman of the two thousands sort of prog alternative rock band Ocean Size. Okay. Uh, really, really great band as well. Now, before I get on to talking about the specific song that I've chosen, because I do really need to get onto that, um, I must say that. We're currently three out of three when it comes to talking about bands that are that have been sort of characterised by a certain tragedy. We had it with Manic Street Preachers, with Richie Edwards going missing. We had it with Joy Division, obviously with uh, Ian Curtis uh, tragically committing suicide. Yep. 
And yeah, cardiacs is no different, unfortunately. In 2008, uh, frontman and sort of brainchild of the band, Tim Smith, uh, was attending a My Bloody Valentine concert. Do you like a My Bloody Valentine? Uh, I mean, a lot of people hearing this are going to kill me for this, but I'm not too familiar with them. Uh, I'm not really. I, I, that, they've never really done much for me when I've heard them, but like, no? they're, they're very, very uh, critically acclaimed. Uh, he attended a concert by My Bloody Valentine and on the way home from the concert suffered a massive cardiac arrest. Sort of, it came full circle really, didn't it? I mean, yeah, the I band, the band, the band it, yeah. was actually called Cardiac Arrest in the early days. So like that is horrendously ironic. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, I it guess. Is, I yeah. mean, you couldn't really make it up, could you? Mm. But yeah, uh, very, very tragic incidents. But it didn't actually kill him. No? But it did paralyse him. Oh. Like, f- most of his body, sort of, like, he, he was, yeah, he couldn't move. And he was only in his late 40s as well. That's a shame. Yeah. And, you know, the, the 12 years passed after that in which he was still alive, but unable to, to, to function on his own and just sort of in pain a lot of the time and just not being able to get the treatment uh that you know he he really needed and then unfortunately last year uh, he eventually passed away at the age of 59 and it was actually that news that sort of um inspired me to sort of try again with cardiacs because i had tried to listen to them before with mixed results but it was that was the motivation motivating factor that got me back into the band mm. and it's probably the reason why i'm talking about them now so yeah that is that is the uh, the history of cardiacs in a nutshell uh if you want to hear more actually about um the history of cardiacs and what makes them so great in many people's eyes including my own there's a youtuber an irish youtuber called tanta cruel that's t t a n t a C-R-U-L and he does a video about a 12 minute video just about why he loves Cardiacs as well and uh, he goes into a bit of detail on like uh, the, the musical aspects that characterise their sound and it's a really really interesting video and you also get some snippets of tracks of theirs as well including the one that I want to talk about today uh, which is the opening track of the second disc of their 1996 double album, Sing to God. And that song is Dirty Boy. say about Dirty Boy, it is a nine minute epic, I know in prog circles like an epic is like 15, 20 minutes yeah, at the very least but uh, like, in terms of like a progressive punk band, nine minutes is pretty much an epic Mm -hmm. Uh, as I said, it was released in 1996, now in terms of music in Britain what was happening in 1996 what was, what was the main sort of movement that characterised sort of 1996 in the UK music scene? In the UK it would have been, I would say, despite the fact that I'm not a huge 90s fan, I know people will kill me for that, um, 
uh, I would say Britpop and Brit, Brit Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you had bands like Oasis and Blur, yep. like gaining immense success, and also bands like Pulp and Suede and Manic Street Preachers to an extent. Around that time, they their sound was sort of consistent with Britpop as well. Right. But yeah, and I think that that Britpop influence actually permeates itself into cardiac sound to a certain extent on this album and on this track as well uh, to, to the extent that i would actually argue that dirty boy could even be considered a progressive Britpop song if that makes I mean, sense I, I i can't really piece those two genres together but i'm sure you're going to let me know yeah. tell me how I mean, Britpop does have its did have its moments where like tracks would go on for a long, long time. Like I know Oasis had a few tracks around that sort of era, sort of ninety seven, I think, that okay. went on for like seven, eight, nine minutes. But like their songs would those long Britpop songs would typically be characterised by frequent repetition. A song that could have been three or four minutes is being sort of stretched out for longer and longer. Yep. Whereas I think that Dirty Boy justifies all nine of its minutes uh, and that is because like it is constantly changing direction like it's a constantly shifting key as well and this sort of constantly shifting key does create a definite sort of tense unsettling atmosphere but it's also incredibly engaging you're not sure which way they're going to turn yet the structure of the song is a bit on first glance it's a bit weird hence i uh, i sent you that lyric sheet didn't i with the the annotations of where the verses and the choruses were yeah and then there's that bit at the end where i just put a big question mark but like i don't know after the second chorus i don't know what the structure does it just sort of goes off on one right but uh yeah but it, that's what in my opinion that's what makes it so appealing it's just Every every second of this song is something new, almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and despite the fact that it's constantly changing direction, constantly shifting tonal centres, it still maintains this sense of flow. You know, at no point do do you think that it, it, are, are the transitions between sections dr- jarring in my opinion you may disagree but like for me they work together extremely well and that's a testament to the sheer craft and songwriting prowess that tim smith predominantly was uh, was known for um so yeah uh, another thing was uh, about the shifting key center like the, at the beginning you've got this sort of major minor ambiguity which uh, uh, the, the the song begins for example on an E major chord just like strummed once okay but then when all the instruments kick in you suddenly find you're in the minor key and then back into a major so can i just say uh, majors and minors ha- tend to have emotional feels feels to them don't they yeah yeah uh, so uh, if you're not too aware of like what major and minor are, so major, uh, in a nutshell, tends to sound brighter, happier, whereas minor is uh, a lot darker, a lot sadder. Though there are caveats to that. You can get major keys that sound incredibly dark, as I will come on to with your track actually later. Oh, brilliant. And then some songs in minor that are not necessarily sad, just maybe mysterious or something, but yeah. But for, uh, in a nutshell, yeah, major happy, minor sad, and then you sort of... Outliers. 
well, yeah, you 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 just sort of go off from there. Yes. But yeah, uh, another thing that I can say about this track is that it seems to start pretty much at a hundred percent. You know, when all the instruments come in at the very beginning, mm-hmm. it's already very loud, and you can already hear that sort of wall of sound production, can't you? Mm-hmm. But then somehow it just continues to grow and grow throughout its nine minutes of length. So you start at 100, and yet you must end at like a 1,000%. You know, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, another example of just how the song just sort of grows and grows is the particularly the second chorus. You have... It's similar to the first chorus at the beginning, but then it just keeps going and going, and the the key centre is just rising and rising and rising to the point where the vocals sound almost like chipmunks, yes. don't they? Yeah, yeah, that, that was very prominent when I was listening to it. Yeah. yeah. tension that is built up over that chorus is just unprecedented and then it goes into that weird almost structureless section yeah. and then there's, there's still no resolution to this tension however that resolution does eventually come within the last two minutes of the tracks when you have what um, whom I mentioned earlier Tantacruel describes as the cardiac's cadence sort of like a, a repeated three chord pattern yes and that is what characterizes the outro of this track the final two minutes where all the tension that was built up over that second chorus over that weird structureless section it's just released it's like a big breath of fresh air and Mm. like as soon as that section arrives you realize i haven't been wasting the last seven minutes of my life you know this was this has all been worth it you know and well, that's at least how I feel listening to it, and just it, the way the song just twists and turns, and then it builds up all this tension and then releases it at the end with this wonderful three chord loop. That's just ma- that's just what makes me love the song so much. It's it's certainly an acquired taste, especially with those sort of chipmunky vocals, the sort of overwhelming production. Uh, and the sheer length of the track, really, and the hard-to-discern structure. But for me, once you get to that outro, it's all worth it in the end. Absolutely. So I think that's all that I really have to say about Dirty Boy. Uh, I mean, I, can, I reckon I could go on about it for, for hours, just about how much I love it and go into really minute detail. But I think for this podcast, I'll leave it there for now, and I'll hand over to my friend Hamdan. Handan, what do you think of Dirty Boy? Right, well, thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> first of all, George, for that um, really interesting exploration into what is quite a standout song. Oh, yeah. I haven't, if you want to, if you want my opinion, I haven't had heard anything quite like Dirty Boy in some time now. Mm-hmm. I have um, 
I have my own opinion on it, and I'm sure you're probably aware by now. Uh, the way I'd like to ex- explain my uh, opinion of this song is in stages. Like, you kind of like, you have the, what, five stages of grief? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Uh, except there's, th- there's three stages here. Um, first of all, when I was listening to the song and I hit that play button, I started off with a sense of curiosity. Like, as you mentioned with those major and minor chords, it de- definitely did bring a sense of, oh, hang on a minute, what are these guys on about? Are they, where, where are they going to go with this sound? Yeah. Then it went into absolute disgust when the chipmunk voices came in. <laughs> and at the end, when we had that really ma- massive cacophony and that, that sort of, air, that complete, that really nice outro, to be honest, um, I was more in a sense of awe. Mm-hmm. So a song that puts me in that sort of stage or that, that emotional roller coaster which I'll go again which I'll explore in my track um that is quite unique and I did feel like it was wasn't the worst song in the world but again it would take me a few revisits for me to admire its sheer beauty or at least from what you've described it from to admire its sheer beauty so that's what I'd say I would say out of 10 roughly maybe a, a six a six okay that's not that's not too bad um yeah, it, I would definitely recommend you give it, uh, you know, an, uh, another listen or another, another few listens. Maybe it, uh, what did help for me listening to the track for the first few times was to actually follow the lyrics, not for the lyrics themselves, because you know they can actually put you off further. And I've, I've got a few examples here actually, if you don't mind me reading no, go some for of it. the lyrics. So if we go with just the first verse, we have. We cut all his eyes, we did, squeezed the lids, and down the drog, da- down the grog into hole, he skipped with cow-eyed smile to the blissful into craggy dress, and we will praise him. That, that sounds morbid, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but, like, as I say, I would recommend following along with the lyrics when you, for the first few times you hear it, not necessarily for the lyrics themselves, but for the, for the structure. Yeah. And then it's sort of easier to discern where the verse is, where the chorus is, and then after the second chorus it goes sort of off on one, but like it's still very rewarding in my yeah, opinion. definitely. Uh, if I were to give it a rating out of 10, well, like, it's going to be a while, I think, before we record a podcast where my choice of song is not going to be something that I consider a 10 out of 10. No, of course not. So, yeah, you know, like, I, I, I chose this for good reason. But, yeah, like, I would give it 10 out of 10. When I first heard it, I might have given it less. I might, I might have given it, like, a 7 or an 8. But, like, just with just repeated listens, my rating went up and up, and now it's one of my... For me, I think it's the pinnacle of Cardiac's career. I think, you know, all of the sort of idiosyncrasies that characterise the sound, albeit in smaller bites, sort of, I think they were leading up to this point. And I think this is the ta- the, the crown jewel of their career. And, you know, the, the legacy of Tim Smith, you know, lives on. And it could live on with just this one track, I think. You know, th- I think many people would be pleased to sort of to end their life with that as their with just that as their achievement you know but I think you know with all the other stuff that he's done as well I think we can safely say that well I can at least that I think he should be considered a musical genius
But uh, that is it now for Cardiax and Dirty Boy. And we are now going to move on to Hamdan's choice of song. Now, Hamdan, what's the band that you've selected? So, um, before I actually go into who I've selected and what song they have sung for... Well, that day I didn't really sing it for the podcast, otherwise we, we would probably be <laughs> we, in a different We commissioned them to write a song <laughs> for our podcast. Yeah, you can tell I've been planning this very well. But... Um, <laughs> But no, like, before I begin, I just wanted to say thank you, George, for giving us really a good in-depth explanation as to why you really enjoy that song. And um, again, we should probably give another shout-out to that YouTuber, Tantacruel, was it? Tantacruel, yeah. yeah Check so, out his work. He's a, a, a number of excellent videos. Brilliant. So yeah, Tantacruel, you got a shout-out there for free, so you're welcome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so thank you very much for that, George. Uh, so before I begin, as I mentioned, I just wanted to um, say the first thing, really, to start with was when I was compiling the notes for my choice for this episode, I started really by writing the word roller coaster in Microsoft Word. And I um, essentially just left it there, George, for about five minutes. And I was thinking about what else I could say. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you might say that I was procrastinating. I mean, fair enough. But uh, I personally would say that I was kind of in, in a trance-like state of unconsciousness. And I was trying to come up with a way to describe today's, today's pick. Uh, with, I mean, obviously, with this state, ironically, um, it harkened me back to the uh, the time I actually hit play on that alternative 2000s playlist on Spotify. Of course, <laughs> other apps are available. That um, what I, I essentially got in return was a roller coaster in many ways, and it gave me. It, it, as, as I went through your song, in the same sense, I went through various, various stages. First of all, ascension, then anticipation, and then followed by the sheer energy and in some cases yeah. i actually felt quite transcendent mm-hmm. and hopefully by the end of today i should be able to ex- you know, share that experience with you listeners at home and again i really do hope that you have the same emotions that i went through when i listened to this song but first i'd like to introduce the band to you and uh, give you a little idea as to how they came about producing such a wonderful track now the band that i've chosen today is the london band the horrors and the way I like to describe them is essentially they started off in a way that I like pretty much all groups to start off with in terms of music. That is, in the early 2000s, with an appreciation for the post-punk bombast of the 80s. Now, I'm sure you've heard of many of these uh, groups, George. I mean, most musical snobs uh, will throw on the label, you know, post-punk revival, uh, which is obviously a label that's used for a lot of bands um, in the early 2000s. You've got your arctic monkeys your strokes who always use that as i mentioned that post-punk bombast and of course interpol and of course my favorite band interpol how could i forget but um yes this is um, a label that again most musical sort of ignorant snobs would technically just whack that label on and they'd they'd just be done with it but Mm -hmm. i in this sense think that is not really a fair label to put on these guys i don't think it really gives these guys justice and it is kind of a cringy label as well so i mean we can we can just throw that out the window um I mean, yes, you do have uh, the influences on the debut album. Uh, They are evident. Um, They do exude a certain gothic nature, especially with the way they dress on stage. And they have cited influences in the past, like The Birthday Party and Bauhaus, which are very, um, you know, well-established gothic bands of that time. Um, And as I I, I did mention in passing, that sort of gothic uh, way that they looked yes they did have that sort of it wasn't gothic in a sense it was more like a halloween aesthetic mm-hmm. in 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 the in the way they went about so especially the on, on stage uh 
And certainly in 2007, when they released their debut album, Strange House, they went through that textbook gothic sound. And it would be later that they would decide to change up their sound for their second album in 2009, uh, which was called Primary Colours. Now, with Primary Colours, uh, the um, the band decided to go down the Kid A route, like I, I tend to call it, mm. in the sense that they went completely left of field. They didn't go for their original sound, like as I meant, like like Radiohead did, but they went for a completely different sound, like they, like Radiohead would do on Kid A. And um, I am unsure. Okay, George, you might be able to help here. Actually, I am unsure that Radiohead had this discussion about yes, listen, guys. They they sat down and they said, listen, guys, we're going to completely change our sound, and uh, we're not going to even touch a guitar anymore. Would you be able to shed light on that, George? I don't know the full story behind the shift in style between OK Computer and Kid A, mm. but I, I do definitely think a lot of it was down to the sheer, like the sheer enormity of the success that OK Computer had. Of course, I do know there's a DVD. I haven't actually seen it myself, but there's a DVD that the band released in sort of the late '90s called uh, "Meeting People Is Easy," oh. and I think a lot of it is about, about how about touring and how the band just just didn't enjoy it and just like being in the the spotlight like yep. constantly that just didn't rub off well with them really and i think maybe kid a was their attempt almost at self-destruction in a oh, way wow. or just or yeah. just uh rebuilding again just knocking down the tower that they built with their first three albums and then just starting again from scratch mm. and, it, and it, it probably remains the boldest stylistic shift for any band in popular music history really doesn't it I yeah mean, i mean it, it, that it, i'm aware of anyway i mean it's you, you rarely see a band change their sound up so much and be successful on the other side yeah exactly but um yeah so thank you for that but in the case of early horrors fame the band members would actually mention that it was just an unmentioned transition of progression from their early rough sort of rocky horror-esque punk sound mm-hmm and uh, we were talking about tragedies, obviously, with uh, our previous mentions. <clears throat> the only tragedy I could actually find after a quick change in... What was basically after the quick change in uh, record company. Uh, the band teamed with Jeff Barrow of Portishead fame. Oh, OK. And basically, well, again, as I mentioned, the, the, the only tragedy that they had at that time was because the, their previous record label had dropped them. Um so yeah, so it, they 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 went through a few days where they were kind of a bit clueless, especially their manager was a bit clueless as to where they should go. But again, they knuckled down with this new Jeff Barrow, and they they uh, decided they're going to move on to this new sound as an unmentioned transition of progression, as I mentioned. And now, before I delve deeper, George, can you hazard a guess as to where they went with their sound with the next album? Well. All I can comment on is what I've heard in the track that you picked. So, did they go maybe in a more prog route? Very, yeah, very close. Very, very close. I uh, would say that um, they went... The, the, prog, the prog rock um, element is a very good guess because you'll find that, obviously... <coughs> excuse me. Faris, who's the lead singer, um, his signature yelpy voice is still there. Except now it's more croon-like in nature, uh, and you can definitely hear the most the post-punk aggression from the early sound by especially their drummer Joseph Spurgeon. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing <laughs> that, but more on that later. 
But when, obviously, the Horrors decided to record their album in that rehearsal space in King's Cross in London, they had been, at that point, thoroughly influenced by a sound that the British music press at the time uh, had dubbed kraut rock. Okay. Now, you mentioned 70s with your Cardiac band, George. Uh, yeah. And I would want to draw a parallel here because kraut rock was basically a 70s scene of German psychedelia and progressive rock. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure if you've heard of these bands, but they included the likes of... Well, it included the likes of Can and Noi and Tangerine Dream. Have you heard of any of these bands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. Very, very... Kraftwerk to an extent. Kraftwerk as well. Yeah, I was going to mention Kraftwerk as well were very popular in this scene. Um, so when I say that um, the horrors became influenced by them, certainly in this song that I'm about to mention, it definitely comes across. Yeah. Now... The aptly placed song that I mentioned is is on the final is, is the final track on the magnum opus that is Primary Colours. Uh, now I'll be honest with you, George. Even though I tend to keep my romance life away from uh, my appreciation of music, I will try to draw a pal- parallel here okay. uh, because I do feel like first impressions count. Yeah. Um, I say this because the initial vocals on that song, um, which is. Uh, I should probably mention it by now, but just instead of calling it that song, um, it's called C Within a C. Uh, now, as I mentioned, the initial vocals on that song were slightly off-putting to, to begin with. But over, the, over time, when I did listen to it over and over again, it, I did become one with the tune. And by God, what a tune it is. to say i mean with with this song from the initial stuttering drums to the transcendental finish it's an an experience that is unforgettable and i in fact actually remember when i first listened to the song and i was it was heading towards the outro i was actually circling my head with the beat and i was i I was circling it to the i i I don't know what the phrase is here is it arpeggiated since would that be the right thing oh yeah yeah they are yeah 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 Uh, you could probably give us give the listeners who aren't really um, who don't really understand arpeggiation. You could probably tell them what exactly that means. No, I think my my idea of arpeggios is uh, when you um, when you've got like say the notes of a chord, but you're playing them separately rather than at the same time. So like for example, uh, a C major triad would consist of C, E, and G, and rather than playing all those three notes at the same time, you're playing them individually mm-hmm. so in in a sort of a loop. So that's to me, anyway, that's what an arpeggio is, and that is certainly what they do uh, with that keyboard outro, anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Um, now, as I mentioned, I was when I was listening to that keyboard outro, as George mentioned, I was actually circling my head in perfect time to the music, and I was trying to draw. Obviously, it wasn't intentional, but I was drawing a circle with my nose. <laughs> it was, it was, it was incredible. Uh, and I'm sure you've had those moments before, George, where you just get completely lost in the music. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Um, now, the song essentially starts off with this punchy bass and drum combo. I wanted to say drum and bass, but I didn't want to go down that route. Um, it's not quite the prodigy. No, no, of course not, no. <laughs> I don't think they wanted to go down that route, but let's, yeah, I mean, let's just hope they don't. <laughs> oh, God bless the prodigy. I'm not, not hating oh, on yeah, the prodigy. I like, I, like, I like some prodigy now and again. Yeah, every now and then, just not regularly. <laughs> um, now, obviously, as I mentioned, we have that sort of punchy 
bass and drum combo and we have brief synth intrusions every now and then. Uh, we have a very tight performance uh, by the band. You, I'm not so exactly sure if they equalise this track, um, but regardless, it does make for some good, uh, good performance. Um, and the drums actually remind me. I mean, we're talking about the post-punk bombast of the '80s. Which drums actually remind me of something that Peter Hook from Joy Division would actually have done back in the day. Uh, again, this, this brings us back to how influenced they were at the time from these sort of bands. Um, I mean, the drums, the, the way that they're stuttering and skittering over this track, it does remind me of the speed and timing of Peter Hook himself, the legend. Um, and actually, I talk about the fact that I was circling my head. I mean, toward the start, I was actually skittering my fingers and using my fingers to hit imaginary symbols <laughs> in time with the song, and which was a fun experience. And I would recommend to people who listen to this just to get involved. I mean, it does sound cringy, but who cares? It's the way I listen to songs, so I don't care. Um but essentially, I've been talking about this song, and we did mention the mention it in passing. I think this song, to me, at least so far from what I've heard of music in general, has to have one of the best outros on any album I've ever heard, or any song I've ever heard, rather, period. I mean, maybe Certain Romance from Arctic Monkeys is a close second, but that song in itself, the outro, you cannot get better than that, and I will fight to the death anybody who says otherwise. <coughs> Um, now you mentioned <laughs> George's clearing story there. <laughs> uh, you mentioned I mentioned certain romance. I mean, the horrors have supported Arctic Monkeys on many occasions, and you mentioned George that um, they didn't uh, that your band Cardiacs when they were supporting bands like Blur and what was the other one? Marillion. Marillion, yeah. That they didn't get too much well too much of a good reception. To say the least. To say the least. I mean. In the case of the Horrors, who were supporting Arctic Monkeys back in 2007, I believe, when they just started out, they didn't do too well, apparently, either. Um, they also had actually... I don't know how bad it was in your... As you mentioned, but they had... In the case of uh, Horrors, they had missiles thrown at them, including um, an airplane seat, I mentioned at one point. Uh, an airplane seat? An airplane seat belt. I mean, not even... A seat belt. Yeah, seat, no, yeah, sorry, not a seat, a seat belt. If it was a seat, it would be... <laughs> I don't know if anybody, any of the bands would probably be alive by now. But um, not, now, now I'm just picturing someone walking into a gig with a, a seat from an aeroplane. Can you imagine? Oh man, you must be like really sort of well built to throw something like that. Anyway, um, the good thing about this band is that they were so resilient that they actually ramped up their look and their sound to react to that initial aggression from the from the Arctic Monkeys crowd. They actually pumped up their you know, their I don't give a fuck attitude, and um, they uh, they just continued on. But anyway, uh, I, that's that's a, I went off on a tangent there. I was talking about the outro of this song because it is in it. It starts around the halfway point, and of course, being the final track, they really had to make their points at, um, point across, mm-hmm. uh, especially with a, a, such a drastic change in sound. Um, now we start off with this one sort of apart arpeggiation, and it just builds and builds in the same case that you were mentioning with your cardiac song um dirty boy it just builds and builds with layers of synths and basses and it culminates into a beautiful cacophony uh as you mentioned george i don't want to sort of nick nick your terminology here but it is in the same sense it's it's such a beautiful sound there are definitely uh definitely parallels to be drawn between the two tracks i won't deny that right uh, now you would half expect the outro to be peaking at some point and then following by like a satisfying resolution, but it just swells and swells and with this such a degree of intensity, um, it's nothing that I've ever heard of up until then by the horrors. I mean, granted, 
some may not warm to this melody like on first listen and that's fine that's fair enough it's not for everyone but if you do spend some time with it depending depending on who who you are this might take some time if you do spend your time with it it is quite a rewarding experience and there is like an element of triumph especially towards the end with this beautiful outro that you don't get in music nowadays uh that's why to me this song stood out so much and this is why i had to choose it for today um it's as if the band is basically flaunting their new sound to us and they're saying look at us this is this is who we are in all our glory and we don't care what you think but this is us and it's that daring to change kind of attitude that they and their desire to try things different that really sort of struck with me and i just wanted to end with this quote that um that the uh i think it's the band's guitarist josh hayward said in an interview 10 years on from primary colors which was in 2009 uh he said, he, I, I'm just going to quote here, he was mentioning in an interview, um, I remember walking to do the mix of this particular song and I was thinking that if a car came in front of me and I could just push it out the way, then I would be happy. We were completely intoxica- intoxicated by this song. And to me, that just sounds, the way that he there mentioned that about how much he appreciated the song is so admirable. And it definitely struck a chord with me with the way that you and me George appreciate music mm-hmm. and we I mean we we actually make songs on from time to time and we we enjoy the experience don't we we have our little quote-unquote jams of course I could definitely sort of you know um warm to that sort of feeling and um the song just sends me over the edge in a way that I've never actually felt before again it puts me in a state of I keep using this word but it's such uh, it's such a great word to describe it. It puts me in a state of transcendence, and I'm, some some people might be think I'm, think I'm being a bit dramatic, and I I can understand that. But I I guarantee you, for the most part, if you do listen to this song and you spend some time with it, you will feel the same way. Now that's my take on the song uh, "Sea Within a Sea" by the Horrors. Um, please, if you do have the time, make sure you listen to this track. It is a great track from start to finish. You might not, not, not like the vocals like I did on the first listen, but uh, again, if you do spend your time with it, then it would be very rewarding. Now, I would like to ask George what he actually liked about the track and uh, if he has any other opinions. I'm going I'm to answer that by asking you this, Andon. How much do you think I like this song? Oh, good question. Um, right, now I know we've had our differences in the past in terms of music. So I'm not going to say that you loved it. I mean, I, to be fair though, George, you are very... Um, it's hard to put you on paper. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm not so sure, but I'd say you you slightly enjoyed it. How about that? Moderately. I have been bluffing throughout this episode. I, I actually do rather like this song quite get a in, bit. Get in. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm not, you know... I, I, there's certain things about it. I mean, for me, it's all about that outro, really. Oh, I think yeah. the same for you. It, it, yeah. It's just wonderful. But um, unlike um, the previous track that we did, um, what was it, in the first episode? Um, Transmission, that's the one. Transmission, yeah. Which didn't really give me a lot to talk about because I didn't think there was a great deal going on in that song. Sea uh, Within a Sea actually made me pick up the guitar and, you know start analysing it, you know, because, like, it's something that I like to do, you know. uh, We mentioned in the first episode that I am quite a big... uh, I I have a great interest in music theory. When I like a song, 
or even if I don't like a song, I like to still sort of take it apart bit by bit and sort of get a good idea of what's going on, analyse it, because I'm a songwriter myself, and if and if there are certain features that are common to so many tracks that I love, then I will try to incorporate those uh, those features into my own music. Yeah. And with Sea Within a Sea, I decided I was going to pick up my guitar and, and uh, fully understand what was going on uh, for myself. Now... I appreciate that not everyone listening to this, including maybe you, Hamdan, have a, a great knowledge of like music theory. And I'm not, I'm by no means an expert, but I, I'm just interested in it. I go by emotion, not exactly. music. Exactly. Yeah. But you can still have an emotional reaction. It's just uh, it's a bit like science, really, isn't it? You know, sort of like there's a romantic way of talking about love, and you say it's in the heart, whereas scientifically speaking, it's all in the brain, isn't it? So like, or in my case, you just talk about incense of music. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say something different then, but it was really inappropriate. Oh, God, it's not. It's probably... It's, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've said the word fuck now, so I don't know if this is an 18 plus yet. I could just cut it out and just put something like... Uh... Redacted. <laughs> flip. I actually used to be friends with someone who said flip instead of fuck. Just it, it, Maybe he's listening to us right now. His, like, his daily life. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, Tom, hello. <laughs> it's not the Tom that we know, is it? It's not that Tom, no. Oh, if, if, that, if that Tom is listening as but well, that then that Tom will never listen to this. Podcast. Oh, come on. Do you reckon? He's, I, I don't know. God bless him. God knows where he's right Oh, we've, we've excluded our, listeners, our listenership, but I'm so pleased that we did it. I'm, I'm not cutting this out. No, no, of course not. Anyway, uh, I've got some notes here that I wrote about the, uh, the track. Um, okay. Much like uh, Dirty Boy, there's a distinct structure to this. Well, yep. If you could say Dirty Boy had a structure, it mostly did. But like this, <laughs> this, this, Steve Dinner Sea does have a very discernible structure for me, mm. and it's in three parts. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so the first part is the, the sort of uh, the first couple of verses, and then you have the second part, second section is this brief sort of instrumental section where suddenly you have this wash of instruments come flooding in, and then you have the third and final section, which takes up pretty much the second half of the track, which is that keyboard intro that starts off quite humble and then just grows and grows. In fact, it, it starts with just a bass, doesn't it? And you've got yes. that sort of bass, almost one note, running through the entire track. And that actually works in their favour for reasons that I will go on to. But I must say that when I first heard this song, I wasn't so thrilled by it because I am not a huge fan of songs that, that are kind, kind of monotonous. Okay. So songs that have just sort of like one bass, or pretty much one note running through it, whether it be on the bass or any other instrument, mm-hmm. are a bit, can be a bit of a turn-off for me. I like my music to sort of have variety, have little twists and turns like Dirty Boy does to go sort of, to have uh, tension and resolution. And for me, when I first heard it, I feared, oh, this is going to drag. This, these eight minutes are just going to go. feel like half an hour, aren't they? Mm. But I was wrong. I was wrong. I was very wrong. Um, so in that first section, I want to talk about the first section now. It is quite, it's quite moody, isn't it? It's quite dark and sort of... Uh, yeah, brooding. Brooding. Yeah. That's yeah, a good yeah, yeah. adjective. Yeah. And that comes as a result of the vocal melody singing in accordance with uh, a scale called Phrygian Dominance. I've no. never heard of that. No, I, I wouldn't expect you to. But what Phrygian Dominance is, it's a major scale, but, well, it's major as in it has 
a major third. Now, the third note of a scale is basically what characterises it as major or minor. However, despite having a major third, it has so many other characteristics of a minor scale. So it's sort of a bit like Dirty Boy. It's like uh, sort of ambigu- this ambiguity between major and minor. Yep. And Phrygian dominance is actually well known among sort of like music theorists as being a really sort of dark, quite depraved scale because you've got this major third, but then all these other notes suggesting minor. Would you say it's gothic in any way? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there is one uh, particular 1994 album that makes really great use of Phrygian dominant scale in many of its tracks. Uh-huh. Can you guess what that 1994 album might be, Hamdan? I, I, Susie and the Banshees? I don't know. <laughs> it is The Holy Bible by none other than Manic Street Preachers. Right. It makes exquisite use of the Phrygian dominant scale in several tracks. Very well. And that's what, and it, this actually reminded me of that album in ah, many ways. Okay. Then we get into that second section that reminds me of a different band. It actually reminds me of Talk Talk. Talk, talk. Oh, yes. Another band that I've tried yeah. to sort of get you into with mixed results, I think. I mean, they're 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 labelled into that genre of post rock, which I kind of have, well, I have very high, you know, appreciation for with bands like Godspeed You mm-hmm. and um, Explosions in the Sky. But um, Sigurós as well. Sigurós, one of the incredible bands in that genre, but. Um, it's, it's, sometimes it is hit and miss, and in the case of Talk Talk, it's more miss than hit. Okay, for you anyway. I mean, they're one of my favourite bands, but yeah. The sort of like, the sort of the background noises, the background sounds within that section of the song do sort of remind me of something from maybe like Colour of Spring era Talk Talk. Okay. Then we get this keyboard, well, this bass and arpeggiated keyboard-driven outro. Yes. And for me, I like to think of this in the in the form of, a, of an analogy. You've got this really brooding opening section, and then you have this almost cacophonous talk-talk-esque section where just tension continues to build, and then suddenly when these keyboard arpeggios come in for me it's like a, a sky that's just filled with black clouds <laughs> thunderstorms and then suddenly the clouds part and there's a blue sky and shining sun that's just in the middle of it brilliant analogy just there. as soon as those instruments start building in in the second half of the track that is just when all the darkness just fades away and you get yeah. bright blue sky yeah. And a wonderful summer's day. That Actually, rhymed, yeah. and I'm so pleased with that. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love that. I love that analogy so much. Uh, and what does help that is actually uh, the fact that the second half of the song is all in a major key, and pretty much a standard major uh, key as well, like the major scale, yep. which is, as we said earlier, is, is, is very bright compared to many other scales. And that is what is so commendable about this track the fact that it moves between scales and tonalities but it ends on this wonderfully bright and optimistic note compared to what came before it and that is why i would give c within a c a very very healthy 
eight out of ten. Get in there, get in there, George. Love it. No, I mean, it's a brilliant track from start to finish. Again, um, like me and George have said, it it won't. Not any, everybody will warm to it the way that me and George have. But um, again, please do listen to that track. Excellent track from start to finish. You cannot get anything better than that, especially if you spend time with it. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much us for this week. Uh, no wardens have turned up. Yeah, I mean, over an hour have passed. Despite the passed. windows steaming up with our enthusiasm, there has been no <laughs> sight of any yellow vest, so we should be okay now. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, um, if the listen, if anybody's listening to this and would like to get in touch, then um, please feel free. We haven't really put up any social media yet, but we will do hopefully in the next coming days. Um, if you guys have any suggestions for how we should take this podcast, where where should we take this podcast? We are, me and George are in discussions about how to how to add to this podcast some certain segments where we might be doing people watching. Uh, yeah, uh, less so with all this sort of COVID going around. There aren't many people out and about. Yeah. But hopefully in the summer when all the restrictions, well, many of the restrictions anyway, are lifted, we can start doing this not only on a more regular basis, but we could also have sort of like... Yeah, we could incorporate that sort of people watching yeah. segments into the uh, the show, which which would be very apt considering like the title, the premise that we've built it on. Of course, and who knows, we might even actually bring guests on as well to describe their favourite song. Who, yeah, in the future. In terms of our setup as well, uh, we're, we're we're fully intent on staying in the car. Of course, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that is that is integral to the uh, to, to to the podcast. But I mentioned earlier how I'm hoping to get a new laptop. That will hopefully happen. Uh, within a month hopefully within three weeks yeah and i also have just had my microphone my blue yeti uh microphone repaired uh, which is perfect for podcasting so uh we may even have uh just a extremely more sophisticated uh sound quality uh, on uh maybe not the next episode but in forthcoming episodes now george you do the editing on this so you could actually put in an audience clapping soundtrack right here yeah, that's uh, that's and that's where we're going to end it. Today. I, I could actually, I could actually multi-track that so to make it sound like a hundred people clapping incredibly lightly. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I got a cricket in the distance as well, <laughs> like a tumbleweed. Oh, I've I've had I've had fun recording this one actually. Like, yeah. Oh, it, it, it's also a bit more sort of a sense of relief considering how awfully the last the our first attempt went last weekend i mean it was a nightmare but yeah look it, it is it's a work in progress at the end of the day and look it's not going to be amazing we're not going to have the most high tuned sound but the way we're doing it right now is diy and it's, it is it is in a car that's our way of doing it so if anybody is not liking it then you can go listen to joe rogan okay <laughs> sorry other d- podcasters are available other podcasts are available <laughs> yes of course um like, what a great way to end the episode. I know. I've, I've, I've had so much fun doing this, actually. Brilliant. All right, well, again, it's um, me, Hamdan, signing off. And, George, thank you very much for spending time with me today to discuss your favourite songs. No worries. And thank you for listening to you at home. Peace out.
the good thing about this band is that they were so resilient that they actually ramped up their look and their sound to react to that initial aggression from the from the Arctic Monkeys crowd. They actually pumped up their you know, their I don't give a flip attitude and um they uh they just continued on. 